This is a Crowd Podcast. You're listening to Captains with me, Sam Warburton. This is the podcast that gives you leadership insights from some of the biggest names in sport. And this episode, my guest is English rugby icon and World Cup winner, Johnny Wilkinson. That determination when I was younger, I was unbeatable purely because I couldn't even handle my own determination. It was killing me. My own determination was destroying me. Off the field, I was facing numerous moments where I was going into anxiety, panic, depression. I have to explore if I can change. And if I do, I'm then kind of like, I've got to explore who the hell I am. I was still deeply lost in my own issues whilst trying to captain a team. And as a result, happy to say it, I was not a good captain. Hi everyone, and thanks again for listening to Captains. Really enjoyed recording this one with someone I looked up to a lot in my early career. Johnny Wilkinson transcended the sport after kicking the winning points in the 2003 World Cup final for England, becoming one of the most famous athletes on the planet. He also won the Premiership with Newcastle before moving to France, where he captained Toulon to a European and league title before retiring in 2014. Now, this is just scratching the surface of Johnny's CV. He also represented the British and Irish Lions, captained England, won BBC Sports Personality of the Year and World Rugby Player of the Year. But there was a price for his success. He struggled with injuries and here he speaks openly and honestly about managing the stress and strains of being the face of rugby. He talks in great detail about his experiences of leadership with plenty of great lessons for us all relating to intensity and how to manage yourself. Johnny has his own podcast, which encourages a more reflective, almost spiritual approach to life. And it is on that theme that we start. Enjoy the episode with Johnny Wilkinson. So, Johnny, you're on the podcast world as well now, actually. I can pick your brains as well. You're doing a podcast, I am. What inspired that and how are you enjoying that so far? I am enjoying it. Um, I'm really enjoying it. But it's massively, for me, just a, a personal journey, if you like. It's following my own personal journey and exploring that with other guests. And it's all about peace, performance and potential and how those all three sort of kick into a bit of a different understanding for bringing out the best in yourself. I feel like my life has been about, uh, has perhaps been conditioned into that. You've got to, you know, stress yourself to the absolute limit and that's how you eke out that extra 1%. And that ultimately just hasn't been my truth. It's actually been my un- undoing, you know, with that extra 1% that I've hit for, it's got me so far and then it's got me in a lot of problems. And there's there's a beautiful, effortless, inspired, relaxed, loving, connective, expansive amazing way to do it and it isn't necessarily out there for people to you know to get their hands on and so I'm, I'm loving exploring that through what's being uncovered in science what spiritual people are going through what people have had inner transformations are about but also what people have found through their own sufferings and through their own challenges in their own careers be it in sport and in other areas too are you a bit more reflective do you find now in your life after rugby than you were during rugby probably not I'm just better at it Mm. as in when I was playing I was super super analytical and I was super intense about the preparation and the finer details and trying to turn over every stone uh, and cover every base and then afterwards I was immensely sort of detailed in terms of and rigorously sort of self-critical as well in that which was in its way, it was, that was a kind of, that's just what my best effort was with my mind at the time to try and get somewhere new. It just didn't do it. Whereas now I find that reflection is constantly opening new doors for me in how I do it now. It was kind of closing doors and I was sort of leading myself down a smaller, darker path. Whereas now I find myself, you know, assisting my way into a brighter, more open journey and, and a future, I think. So yeah, I, I kind of equally as intense about it I'm equally as obsessive about everything I do, but just in a way which almost rewards my health and well-being as opposed to, you know, takes it away. I've obviously followed your career very closely from when I was young and you first came through. And I've, I've admired all that you've done massively. And I was, I was doing some reading earlier. My wife was in the kitchen with me and I, I was starting to, I was laughing. And I've, I've always felt, I've listened to a lot of the stuff you've done and, and I've resonated with a lot of it. And I read this one bit and I started laughing. My wife said, what, what are you laughing at? And I said, oh, it's really interesting actually how Johnny's mentioned 
these three stages. And you said stage one about sport, like being the best player you want to be, just full of pressure and stress. And and I talk when people talk, when I talk about my career, people think it's quite negative because I I'm like, oh my god, that's that's just what it felt like. You know, I was kind of that's why I quite like your story because I, I was quite obsessive as well. You know, so it's nice to hear somebody else going through similar things. And then your stage two. You said you wanted to be the best you could be, but only by comparison with others and feeling better when others suffer misfortune. Right? I laughed again. And I was like, oh, I, I think I'm coming out of stage two. Because then you talk about stage three, just letting go of everything. I was like, I think I'm entering stage three now. I'm 34. Yeah. How, how old were you when you got into stage three? Well, I think it's, it's, it's funny. There's a kind of missing stage, which is stage zero, which is when you're a child. And all you do is you just play through absolute passion. You don't give a... A toss about who you're playing against you don't even need a game to play you don't need to compete you just need a ball in your hands to express then stage one like you said be the best and all that means is just conquer anyone anything yeah. at all costs at all costs and then yeah. you kind of go jesus is hurting me and then you think well i'll tell you what i'm going to be the best i can be and you think that's it but it's not because being the best you can be is still putting your own markers in that you have to beat. So you're essentially now just competing with yourself, which is a great thing. It's a really powerful thing for monitoring your improvement and pushing yourself further. It's brilliant, but it doesn't compare in any way to stage three of that. And in what you're asking, I think the stage two came about at the end of a massive injury period, four years in the middle, where it just it became exhausting because I was still trying to do stage one while I wasn't even on the field. I was trying to be the best without playing. And I couldn't get out of it. So I was doing, so I was going to the gym and training nine till five with a fractured neck, knowing that I wasn't going to be playing again for another 10 months, for sure, not a minimum. And yet I was, ah, no. So that's not under physio guidance. You just sort of done that kind of obsessively yourself, have you? Obsessive, just Mm. destroy myself cardio wise. I'm going to do weights. I've got all my rehab to do, all my physio treatment to do, and then I'm going to kick. And when I'm doing kicking, I'm doing every single skill I can think of. And now all of this was this idea that I was still competing with all these people off the field. And of course, I just ended up with another 13 injuries in a row. So at the end of all that, I kind of was like, oh, man, this can't, this can't go any further. So then I'm like, I'm just going to focus on me, which is a beautiful thing. But then even that leaves you in the same space, self-critical. You still got your own expectations, which are all still built on stuff that I'd picked up years ago and had never updated. And so the final part was to, yeah, we came in much more towards the end, like you're talking about 33, 34, when that started to kick in, when you actually sort of go, I've got to free myself in order to become that stage zero child again, but just a wiser version of that child. Because a child is beautiful, but doesn't have the wisdom about why they are so beautiful, so they lose it. But now you get to that stage zero again, where you're like, now I'm back to that playful, free, flowing, liberated, inspired, excited child who doesn't really understand the concept of pressure or fear of failure, but I'm consciously responsible for it. And that was, yeah, that's been the journey. But yeah, hell's teeth. I still find myself in stage one and two all the time. Didn't go away. <laughs> well, that's all right then. Yeah. <laughs> that makes me feel better. Yeah, just so, know, so feel good about it, mate, say... because it's going to last your entire life. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, have that. Yeah. It's in the DNA. What's, um, so was that, say, after 2011 World Cup when you went to France? It, it sounds like when you went to France, that was a whole different sort of journey and experience in your playing career. What did stage three, when you became more relaxed, happen when you were out to Toulon? Yeah, so I, I went to Toulon in 2009. So I had that... Um, oh, nine, yeah. Yeah, yeah, so a bit earlier. So I had I was out for three solid years. I didn't play one international for three years. I just had that many injuries. I barely played a game. So heading out to France seemed like a good option. And Toulon, I arrived. It was sunny. You're by the sea. It's warm all year round. And people are speaking a different language. So for a Brit perspective, you're on holiday. So you go there, you're on holiday, and you're playing rugby. So you go and play your rugby, and then you're out by the beach. And that holiday vibe just gave me a sense of what was also being away from the media people not focusing on you too much you've been out for a year there was a lower expectation because I hadn't played a game for an entire year and then all of a sudden you you give yourself that freedom to say or that freedom is given to you and for three or four months you just love it but then because I didn't own that freedom after three months it's going well people turn up in the crowd with a few banners with my name on and suddenly I start the whole journey again I'm back in stage one completely and then so yeah it it did give me that freedom 
and the lifestyle and the and the distance helped, but something else, it was my ultimately what I found was yes, breaking out of the relationships in terms of me and my environment in England was a, a healthy thing. But the ultimate relationship I had to change was the one inside me. And that took a while because even, you know, you mentioned England 2011, 2009, 2010, going to that World Cup, to the, I was in a terrible state mentally because of all this. So, yeah, even though and Toulon became a bit of a respite home for me when I went back there, it was sort of like <gasps> big breath. But, you know, so much of this is so powerfully embedded that it, it was a huge, huge thing for me to face it. And as much as I kept thinking I was, I wasn't really getting near it. You know, I had to face some serious vulnerability to get there. So what sort of mindset were you in there when you were captain of Toulon? Because you almost had like two separate careers. You had the phenomenal success of the World Cup to start with and the huge reputation that you carried then, as you've sort of talked about for the next sort of six, seven years from that. And then you went to Toulon. It's like you had a whole new career again, equally as successful within the double in, the, in your final season. What sort of mindset were you at that point? It was a really powerful journey, one where I had to accept quite a lot of humility because you're in a place where you don't really know the language you don't know the culture. You just have to accept there's a lot you don't know. And with that space, you're kind of willing to take that on. For the first two, two, three years, you know, I wasn't captain. Joe Van Niekert was. And Joe Van Niekert was captain pretty much all the way through as well. Just an absolute dream of a captain. So I watched that guy go through such challenge. And yet his energy never wavered. And what it gave is this beautiful example that no matter how much you have this mindset of, shit, if this happens, it's all going to change. You had this beautiful, shining example of a guy that was going through this stuff, had gone through this stuff, and was showing you it doesn't. You can choose how you want to be. You can choose how you take that next step. And that was so refreshing. It wasn't about what he said and whether he shook his fist. It was just his presence. And his example was that I guess that anything is possible and that what happens on the outside doesn't have to touch the inside. That's yours. And he started me on that journey. It's interesting that, you know, if you want to go find him now for this one, you'll have to go far afield because he too is on a very interesting personal spiritual journey, which has led him all around, uh, all around the East, yeah. Interesting. Because I've yeah, played against him for South Africa and for and when he was at Toulon as well. I've always been impressed by playing against him. So at this point then, say when you are captain of Toulon and you've had some pretty influential captains, Joe Van Nierkirk's obviously won, going back to obviously the World Cup group back in 03. When you were captain, I want to sort of quiz you a bit on, on your captaincy. And it's a question I've asked all of our guests and we'll probably dive into each of these traits now into why you pick them. What would be on, on, on Johnny's captain's compass? Which four traits would you pick? I've always had this thing since a certain time because I just realised now that I've just spoken a huge amount about Joe. I didn't answer your last question, so I'll try and get try and get to that one in this. <laughs> I didn't mention anything about my captaincy, so I'll get there now. But my whole journey or my whole kind of personal life drive or guidance at the moment is around three main points. So I might have to span these out to get them around your compass. Mm. But one of them is awareness. So you've got to be aware of what's going on around you. Yeah. The other, the next one is acceptance now that was huge for me and came through in Toulon you've got people in that team from everywhere so different in the way they are you've also got all kinds of things happening around the place in terms of different kinds of decisions that you're not used to and different ways of doing things or what have you but the acceptance with that is kind of this absolute acceptance an unconditional relationship on the deepest level with the players around you in other words none of this is going to go anywhere unless you actually really care about the people you're with. You can't just conditionally do it on the basis of, look, I can't stand you, but I might as well just like you so we can win this championship. It comes through. People feel it. You can't do that. Now, so the the acceptance of everyone and then the awareness gives you the ability to see you know, where there's an issue. The acceptance gives you a, an ability to release the issue and see the clarity of it. And now with that, the responsibility, which is the third part, the ability to respond is just, it's the excitement and the passion. You follow excitement and passion. So you have this beautiful space that you create as a captain where people feel loved and cared for so they start to feel worthy about who they are. You have an awareness of all the detail. And then with those two things, everyone starts to find excitement and passion. Yeah, within the game plan, they start seeing there's opportunity for me to get in and do someone, do something and, and, and be and belong. 
And with those things, it just takes off. Now, there's no doubt in my mind that when you create that kind of, or when you allow for that kind of energy for people to really bring their own excitements and passion and their whole being to things, you get these crazy reactions within teams that you call team spirit. And you get these crazy performances that you can't explain. You're like, it doesn't make sense. But that's what happens when people feel their worth. They just see what they want to happen. There's no doubt anymore. And they go about it. And then errors. People talk about how do you deal with errors? It's like, but if you look after how the way people feel, errors just become more opportunity. Mm -hmm. You do brush them off. But if you don't feel good about yourself, it doesn't matter how much you try and tell people, oh, just brush it off. Next job, don't worry about it. All of that just reminds them they've just made an error. It doesn't, you know, it all comes down to people feeling accepted and good about themselves. And as a captain, when I was younger, I did the opposite of that. I was, I was so much built upon this is how it works. This is what you should do, black and white. And if you're not doing it, you're unprofessional. Yeah, you're not this, you're not that. And you'd let them know and you think you're doing a good job. You're like this kind of the, the stick approach. You think you're doing it. And, the, and then you find out that people are going home and being like, geez, Johnny's an absolute, you know, agile expletive now and you think i'm doing a good job here and we've i've had that with coaches that are kind of walking away being like that's got me in the spirit and the guys are just there being like yeah what is that you know i've just i feel worse than i've ever felt so i i kind of took that lesson on board to be like i just wanted to be someone that lifted people up but you can't do that without caring about people first and and you also have to have the awareness to to actually work on yourself rather than just keep trying to work on everyone else was, was that quite hard to do at the Toulon team or was that something quite easy? Because I guess you're following on from the footsteps of Joe Van Nierkoek. Was he quite similar in his thinking as to what you're explaining? I think, do you know what? I think it became a lot more simple because I was exhausted of trying the other way. Hmm. I'd burnt myself out completely of trying the other way. And I was at a stage now of almost in a really sort of much more proactive way. I was in that space of, who cares now? Do you know what I mean? And actually that ended up being the let, letting go. I wasn't there sitting, meditating, going, let go, let go. I, was, I let go because I had nothing left. I tried to control my career so hard. And because it kind of worked, it only worked up until 2003, because I was so determined that nothing could not make it work. But obviously that energy burns out. And I continue throughout all those years of injury to say... I will make it work. And by that point, I was just done with controlling. I suddenly come to me that you cannot do it. You can't control people. You can't control events. You can't control outcomes. All that you can start to have a bit of a say in is how I turn up. And so I started looking after myself mainly. And I, want, and I realized that I was a sensitive person. I was a much softer person. I wanted to have that space. I, I wasn't interested in conflict with people. I loved seeing people feel good about themselves. And I, so I gave in and just was like, and so I started really, for some reason, I used to watch young players kick out in the field and be like, yeah, can I help in any way? So I spent most of my time kicking with youngsters and playing, doing skills with youngsters. And then people said, oh, you're doing a great leadership job. I said, I'm just kind of looking after myself and just, you know, just caring about everyone else. I find it quite a hard thing to admit sometimes, but like, no, I only played since I was 28. And I think it's because I didn't find that, I don't care, like, what you're saying in a good way. And I remember Jamie Roberts once said to me on a separate case, like, mate, the moment you just chill out a little bit is probably when you become a better player. Because you could see I was so... I was consumed by everything that was rugby performance. This is always, like, pre-kids. That was a big one for me, pre-kids. So when I had kids, it completely opened my eyes up. So I, I kind of, like, look with a bit of envy with you because I'm like, oh, I wish I got to that point because I, I don't think I got to that let point. Me stop, let me stop you short. You don't need to envy me because... In my game, I didn't have this. In my leadership, I did. Because for some reason, what I held in my, my sort of beliefs about others, it was enough for me to let go. But what I held about myself in a game mode, just like you. Final game, you know, it was the final game was the, it was the final of the French League. I mean, 35 years old with everything you've been through. You're kind of like, you know, God knows how many games, how many injuries, how many ups, how many downs. I've seen everything. And then you go, right, final game, go make the most of it. I'm a shivering wreck in the change room. I'm still in that nasty little space where, where the mind is saying, look, I'll take the result without having to go through the process. It's telling me, go on, skip around the back door, go and pick up the trophy, you know, and maybe, or maybe, you know, maybe you can 
bench this one. You know, so you pull the hamstring trick and stay out the game, but pick the trophy up at the end. The boys should win it. And if they don't, they'll be like, oh, well, it's because you weren't playing. So that'll feel good as well. And you're like, you're still, and it's, it's a ludicrous space. But the, what you mentioned there about my absolute experience now is that you, you can't grow or evolve until you relax. Yeah. And that's it. So I didn't, for so long, I barely came out of survival mode. But it's just, the thing is, is when the whistle goes, you relax. That's, that's so strange because I would say like I, yeah. I I've, I've been on buses and I'm like I wouldn't mind the I wouldn't mind this tire popping here so we don't get to the stadium <laughs> like when, when I'm in the so not that that was very rare but you think oh god yeah, yeah, put myself through this but yeah. you're right oh, but I'm like why am I like this because when I cross the whitewash and the whistle goes I've never been nervous for a second mm. like that's you that's just the know. comfort zone you know yeah. You're in. It's really interesting you mentioned about being 28 and thinking you could have played on. I know that I plateaued in certain elements at a certain time. Now, you could argue the four years of injuries, I had both shoulders, necks, punctured kidney, both ankles, both knees six times between them, groins, you know, everything. But actually, when I look at it, I still was physically pretty good to go. But I plateaued because of this, the sheer fatigue. And what happens when you're constantly tensing is you lose all your range. You lose your wingspan. And metaphorically, what it means is you, you lose your reach. You stop having such a sphere of influence because you become too tight, too small, too rigid, and too narrow. And that plateauing is ultimately, when you say, you know, I could have played longer, I'm kind of, I think to myself, I could have easily played longer. I could have played so much better if I would be. But the thing is, is that I was never ready for it and I wouldn't be. But that determination won't let you go until it's time to go. And I think exploring that's been really interesting to me. Uh, yeah, why did I keep going another year, another year, another year? And then then I said, no, why? And it's not like you give yourself credit for the decision, but it's not. Because if they, they, there's enough purpose in you to say, you have to keep going, you'll keep going. But my purpose changed. My purpose is about something else now. I'm unfolding as to what that is. But that determination when I was younger, I was unbeatable purely because I couldn't even handle my own determination. It was killing me. My own determination was destroying me. So whatever someone else was going to try and do more than that to me, it was like, you can't do anything compared to what I'm doing to myself, believe me. You know, like, I'm, I'll, I'll beat myself. Don't you just stay there and I'll probably <laughs> beat myself. You're listening to Captains with me and my guest, Johnny Wilkinson. Has captaincy and leadership changed you away from rugby for the better, do you think? I think it's been a very interesting journey being like, in order to be the captain of a team and all these different moving parts and to be able to try and have somehow, as, as a coach would say, I want to try and bring the best out of everyone. It's a lot of moving parts. Within those moving parts, there's a lot of moving parts. It's ludicrous how complicated that is. And in order to even have a shot at that, the only way you can do that is through, I think, through massive sensitivity. You can't look and think your way through. How are you going to put 35 guys into a space where this works, with this game plan, with this crowd and this whatever? It's all through feel and connection or that. But in order to be the captain of that, you have to at least be captain of your own ship. And that's got so many moving parts. And, and I was captain of many teams, whether it be Newcastle or England when I was growing up in like mid-20s. I'm fascinated by how you did it, mate. It's, it's, it's incredible. I think it's, you know, it's a huge, huge respect to you because I was still deeply lost in my own issues whilst trying to captain a team. And as a result, with, happy to say it, I was not a good captain in any way when I was, a, when I was younger. Not a good captain at all. I did my best and I led by example. And the only thing that, probably helped was the fact that I gave everything and I wouldn't lie down and other people may have found that Mm. okay but I had no subtlety or none of the nuance none of the connection to players none of the feel it was just I was lost I'll go and do the coin toss the guys wouldn't see me before the game because I'd arrive go and do my kicking the ref would have to come out and find me to do the coin toss because I never went in because I was too busy kicking so he'd be like look can you please come in I'd be like just give me five he'd be like Get in, get your <laughs> ass in it now. All oh, right, come on then, coin toss, shake the guy's hand. Yeah, you're good, we'll have the end, whatever. I'm off out again. I'll come back in, I'll do the team talk, that was it. Now, I, I, I was self-absorbed. There was no way I had enough energy for anyone else. I had to do my own work on me yeah. 
before I could even think about it, Captain. Funnily enough, that parallel thing was as I went through my struggles, I was like, geez, my self-importance is moving away. And as it did, I was starting to realize there's other people around. And geez, nobody feels like they can be who they want to be near me. They feel like they have to be who they have to be. They're all told to respect me. I'm not sure any of them do because I'm not a per I'm, I'm just not a necessarily a very open, nice person to them. And so, you know, as that journey paralleled, I got to Toulon. Like I said, I just suddenly realized that I'm not a special someone. I've got to get over that. And the fact that I think I am is really destroying me. And as you do that, you're like, geez, I've just realized how much I like these guys. <laughs> as you let go of that, you're like, you're great. <laughs> Whereas when you hold on to that, you're like, you're a threat to me. Yeah, yeah. You're, you're, you're a threat to me. When I let go of my self-importance, I'm like, I love you. I, I mean, I'll do anything for you. And they feel that. But it's been a parallel journey. So in a way, it's been what's happening off the field, what's happening on the field. It's been the same thing. You've got to do your own work before you can think you can work on someone else, especially when it's that detail. And I, I was still in that space of being like, I've got to go out there and deal with all this fear or whatever. I haven't got time to... If someone comes over to me and says, what should we do on this? I'd just be like, just do that, do it, it'd be fine. You know, I wouldn't have the time to sit there and offer any kind of real you know, time and, and energy for anyone else. What, what about, what you were saying there probably was going to lead me to my next question, which was, and you, I'm not sure you might have answered it already when you said about, you found that there were certain things difficult as a captain. What was the biggest mistake you felt you made as a captain? I think, I mean, this is going to sound like a joke, <laughs> probably taking the captaincy. Really? I, I was going to ask that because there's a number 10 as well. People always question about 10s. They've got so much to juggle. You've got your own, like you said, you've got your own thoughts. You're the quarterback. You've got everything. You've got all the team plays. Then you've got the captaincy. I always wondered, do you think 10s do make good captains? I think it's a personality thing. I think I ticked a lot of boxes visually. Performance, actually, hard work, diligence, all those things. Yeah. Hard work, all those things, looking composed. But actually, like I said, the depth of this is really interesting because when I was 18, I went up to Newcastle, I joined a changing room full of internationals, all of them probably about 30 plus, 30 or 30 plus, you know, basically every position was held by uh, an international. And it worked beautifully because you've got all these experienced guys looking after all those difficult elements of managing the game and you know and all the tactical stuff and then there's me just being able to just express that kind of energy and then I go into the England team same deal older guys everywhere brilliant experienced guys real knowledge and wisdom and what was never experienced or investigated was what would happen when you remove that bank of father figures almost when those guys all headed off into pastures new I was injured for four years and so I didn't get a feel for it. And then I came back and suddenly I'm now one of the old, I'm one of the oldest guys. You've got all these young guys and the dynamic doesn't work. I cannot survive in that dynamic. I'm now, I don't know how to be one of those old guys. You know, those guys that when I looked in the change room, they're all relaxed before kickoff. I mean, back in the day, there's probably a bit of, you know, on the bus to the game, not on the game, but, you know, we joked about this. This isn't true, but to give a, a sort of slight analogy, you know, a glass of red wine on the way to the game, you know, as if it was almost that, do you know what I mean? It, it's a brilliant amateur professional crossover. They're so relaxed. They give off that amazing energy, which works beautifully with mine. But now no one's got that energy. You've got young guys looking at me going, tell us. And all I've got is that ball of energy, of intensity. I need someone above me going, it's okay. Yeah. <laughs> and I haven't got that. And now you want me to be that okay voice to these youngsters. I didn't have it in me. Like, it's what I meant about being captain of the own ship. You've got to do that work before you can think, now, what does everyone want to know? They want to know it's okay. Yeah. Now, looking at me, <laughs> people thought that by looking <laughs> at me on the field. But when you speak to me in that state, they were like, it ain't okay. This guy's given off serious, <laughs> unstable vibes. And, and as a result for the youngsters, I was trying to take everything off them, not, not consciously, but every bit of anything that needed doing, I'd try and do it. So they backed off. So I would then be going, why is no one helping me? But of course, they don't know what to do. And then we take me out the team, someone else plays. Boom, it works. This is life's work. It's brilliant. This is kind of the depth, I think, that at some level needs to be understood about teams and about high-performance endeavors like sport and elite athletes, high achievers. It's mad, but that sort of intricate detail isn't there. Yeah, people just look and go, why is he not doing that? Why is he making these random decisions? Well, it's because... You know, there's a, something going on with everyone in the dynamics and everything. So it, it, it's kind of funny, but in that state, I just, all I, if you can imagine someone saying, here's the captaincy of England, mm. there's no way I'm turning that down. This is another part of my perfect CV. 
But what I probably needed to do was to have the capacity, which I didn't have, to sort of to say, I don't need this. I need someone else still saying to me, you know, like Martin Johnson, yeah, Johnny, knock this one over. And me being like, yes, sir. <laughs> I didn't need to be the one deciding whether we kick for goal or not. I mean, what am I supposed to do with that? I want to kick the three points, but I'm fearing failure. I want to win the game for everyone and be the saviour, but I also don't want to lose it. And now I'm captain of those decisions. You're like, that's why you need a Jono. That's why you need someone like yourself out there. And like I say, it's always difficult for number 10 when you're in those positions to be like, right, do I kick or do I not? It's like, well, it's not difficult for them if they've got a balance to their personality. But when you had mine, it was like, geez, it was a mess. Who, who were the boys in 2003 then? Because I still, I still, to this day, is that's the greatest Northern Hemisphere team that, that we've seen. Which of the leaders in that team did you resonate with most and, and what did you like about their leadership? Um, Martin Johnson, obviously, as a captain, he had that thing where he wasn't going to break records in the gym, but you couldn't shift him on the field. People were physically scared of him. He just never, he never backed down. No one ever beat him. John, I want to ask you about him because I, I've interviewed him about captaincy and he's a very humble man and he, he doesn't, he, yeah, he won't, he won't yeah. talk himself up because I guess nobody does. But what, from your perspective, what, what do you think made him such a good captain? I think just he had that relaxed side about him mm. and he was just happy to be who he was. He wasn't trying to prove anything. He was sort of angry and aggressive enough to instill fear in opposition. Um, he had that no-nonsense approach that was probably in terms of the opposition being like Jesus but for us a bit of our enforcer and our leader but there was a human side I think he offered as well whether he knew he did but there's you know, a couple of things just about him was every night before the Friday night before games for England we'd he'd do his team talk and it would be yeah you know, it's, it's such an incredible atmosphere around those team talks if I walked into that atmosphere now and felt it I'd be like oh my god it bring it all back. It's like a, there's a silence as he's talking, but it's like I, I can feel it now. And he would say the words, and yeah, there'd be some effing in there and some what have you, because that's the way he did it. You know, sometimes he would <laughs> just before the, you know, when we ran out onto the field, he'd get the boys in a huddle and he would go. Other times he'd be so calm. In these team talks on the Friday night, he was always quite sort of like setting the scene, and it was like, oh my god, your heart's pumping and everything. And afterwards he'd go, right, alphabet game. And the alphabet game, I don't know if you played this one, is you put the, you read out the alphabet twice in different orders and you end up with two initials and you all play a game, you've got to try and find a famous person with those initials. <laughs> and if you if you get one that no one else has got, you score these points. And it was this, again, it was this, this kind of understanding within it where you're going, he means this with his life, but it's still a game. The other one was in the World Cup final when he, he normally do his team talk just before he we went out of the tunnel and this time we were lined up uh, beside the Aussies and he turned around to do his team talk we always did and we're lined up so they're looking at him as well and he's got his big hand around the ball and he just kind of goes to speak and he always said something but this time he didn't he just sort of went ah, turned around and ran out and it was like oh man he knows we're ready Say you were captain now of a, a two thousand. There was a player in your team who was a carbon copy of the two thousand and three Johnny. Would you would you get on with that player, and how would you how would you treat him now? What would you tell him? That version of me in two thousand and three was on his way to doing something quite challenging and somehow getting it across the line. And you're kind of like, geez, why mess with that? <laughs> the, the thing that's come through now, I guess, is that I had two hours on a weekend, which kind of looked after themselves anyway. But I stressed the rest of the week for those two hours, which looked after themselves anyway. So my gift looked after me on that field. You know this, because as soon as the whistle goes, it's your gift that does yeah. it. It's not you running around going, okay, put arms on ball, steal ball, <laughs> yeah. give up, pass. It's your gift just goes, I know what I'm doing. Yeah. So it looks after, and so you waste an entire week stressing. You waste so much time feeling so investigating and indulging doubt about yourself and indulging insecurities and feelings of insufficiency and conflict and whatever, all under the idea that this is somehow you adding to your gift. But things like training in the gym and all those things and building yourself up around it and doing your skill work and doing your practices, all of that creates the physical body and the and the and all this stuff that needs to go and do its job. But all the stressing, if I look back now and say, was it worth it? Of course it's not. You know it's not worth it I think same as me in that because all you've got is now it doesn't matter what you've won or what you've done it doesn't make your now any better than anyone else's it might make your surroundings look different 
but who you are and how you relate to life is not changed by stuff you've done, anything you do. And I think that's the point I'd come to is be like, look, this is great, but on some level, understand, go get it, but find the enjoyment instantaneously in what you're doing, not in what you're going to get, because it will not save you. Whatever you're feeling, it ain't going to save you. And I think for, for me, that's what I was constantly building up to every game, feeling like that game was going to define me and... I was giving away that capacity to choose who and how I wanted to be by saying, if this game goes well, it'll define me. If it goes badly, it'll define me and ruin me. Either way, it was a knife edge, but none of that was true. But now, you know, I'm sort of, my message is, is, is just to ask people, you know, is this how you want to be? And that's the big question. And when they say no, you're like, well, then that might be permission just to look at things. Mm. But if they say, you know, if you say consciously, look, do you, are you enjoying this? Is this worth it for you and I think in that state I would have said to myself you know at certain times I'd be like no other times I'd have been like yeah when I was younger I'd be like I didn't care yeah. getting nervous for two days I didn't go I'll take that all day but at some point it, it, it gets too much I agree with that you said earlier that your own determination was was killing you and you said that you're now searching for that for that freedom was there one particular moment that started you off that journey or was it a slow build-up I think the the whole idea about the, the determination was this idea that I think I had so much coming through me, so much desire and passion to play, but there was this massive build-up because I was stood in the way of it. I was, all this energy just wanted to express itself, but I was putting all these conditions on it. It has to be perfect, it has to be like this, it has to go like this. And as a, as a result, that conflict was just, that's what I'm talking about, that stress, that suffering. Mm. But rugby was a manifestation of this. It wasn't the source of it. The source of it was in me. And as a result, outside the field, off the field, I was facing throughout my childhood and upwards so many crises moments, which you know, may be reviewed as or viewed as sort of mental health type things or emotional kind of breakdown type things, but so many crises moments where those conditioned parts, ideas about how life or how the world is, who I am and how things should be, were in conflict with this energy and as a result, I was facing numerous moments where I was going into anxiety, panic, depression. And it's through that, bit by bit, there becomes a deeper awareness. And at some point, there's a mix of when I guess I was a bit more ready and the crisis was that long, that deep, that you suddenly realise that I cannot continue past this moment unless I surrender some of that stuff. And I guess they build up, 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 and it gets to one point where you... I realised at one point off the field, I sort of just realised that, you know, unless I change, this is an impasse. Unless I change, and that, that was the big moment to say, right, I have to explore if I can change. And if I do, I'm then kind of like, I've got to explore who the hell I am. And then it was like, shit, performance is looking a lot more exciting from this angle. Mm. I'm so different to the 21, 22-year-old Sam. So like, yeah, when I was playing, like, like I said, I got the 28, 29, I called it a day. Like, I just, like you sort of explained, I just sort of ran out of energy. I just... I mean, I could have carried on. I just finished because I thought, yeah, no, I, I haven't got the energy to keep doing this, you know. And then I had kids and it sounds like a really corny line. It's weird. I changed from like wanting to be the best player or the best open side in the world to like wanting to be the best dad. I, I just completely swung. Mm. And I was in like this wrestling bout with this young seven. And normally at preseason, the young boys come through the academy and I'm like, yeah, brilliant. Like checking with me and... You know, I'd love them to sort of give me a, a kick at the backside, but also let them know what the standard is, you know. But on this occasion, I was like, I just want to be a dad now. I'm fed up of being this selfish, obsessive player. I don't miss playing pro. I haven't missed playing pro one bit. But I, I look at the people playing the game on the club's pitch level and I think, oh, God, I, that, yeah. that looks awesome. You know? Yeah, it does, It's just yeah. it's actually just, just, just playing, you know, like when yeah. you're a kid, you know. So, yeah, my, my priorities are change, you're right. It's, it's really interesting you mentioned even just wrestling then. It's, it's a big, big part for me of, of the captaincy side of it, but also about just general. To looking at your team is to understand just how different everyone is. Oh, yeah, that's the one mistake I made. There is no way you can say, look, and this is what I used to do when I was younger, is say, look, the one size fits all. Yeah. And you know what that one size is? It's my size. Yeah. It's my experience, it's, the, it's not my truth, it's your truth, and it's the truth for all of us. So I want you guys training two hours extra a day, standard, and of course you've got kids going, I hate rugby. I now hate rugby. I hate my life. 
because it's not right. But at the same time, you know, I, I was very similar to you. I had to be the best in everything. I used to train. I used to train separately for the England fitness test. Really, yeah. It did nothing for my game, but I had to win it. And I had to break all the records. So I used to, and, and it destroyed me because I would do my team training with Newcastle and I'd grab Steve Black and I'd say, Blackie, come on, mate, we need to go and do this because I have to win this. It had nothing to do with, was it helping me get better? It was just that I cannot afford to lose. Then I did the same thing for Toulon. In my holiday, I'd be running track, trying to do this um, five-minute run. And, you know, I had to be the furthest. And after a while, I broke down in the same year, the 2011. I was out there running the track and I, I was as fit as I always was, but I just didn't have it in me. And while I was running the track, I kept running a lap and thinking, I can't do this. I can't do this because I knew the year before on a one-off, I'd done it on my own with the coach and I'd absolutely smashed it. And now I was under this pressure to do it again. And all the team were like, Jesus Christ, you ran how far? And I'm sort of like, okay, I'm training for it. And I just burst into tears. I had this unfortunate situation where I was faced with this challenge that my whole identity was based on. But there was this change in me. I just didn't want it enough so I phoned the coach and I was trying to think of the best way to phrase it. Ultimately, what I said is I pulled the, the card that I'd never pulled before and I said, sorry, Matt, I don't fitness test anymore. I'd never gone against the team ethic, but I said, I don't do it anymore. I said, it's destroying me. I'm not going to, you know I'm fit. Say, and, and this happened with the same thing with wrestling and that was with the England team. They were doing wrestling. And of course, I'd have been the young buck thinking, you know, and I, could, I used to fly into hits on the field. I'd yeah. give everything to it. But I went into that wrestling ring and before it, I was panicking, like almost panic attacks. And I kept going up to the, the fitness guy going, yeah, but we're not, we're not doing any of this competing rubbish, are we? We're just going to do like drills, just drills, you know, to get better. At, I want to you know, learn about wrestling to get me better at hooking on the ball and, and jackling and getting over the top of the ball and holding people up and choke tackles and whatever it might be. I want to get better at that. So, yeah, teach me all the skills. I said, but, you yeah, know, we're not doing any of that man-on-man stuff. The deal was like, no, no, we're not doing any of that. So I, my panic attack kind of like ceased. And then we went out there and it was like, right, one-on-one. My heart sank. I don't know why to this day. There was, I think, probably to do with this fact that I just knew I didn't have it in me. But I still needed my identity. My aura was, because on the field I would still hit. I would hit anything and I would hit it hard. But I knew that my aura was being challenged and I didn't have it in me anymore. Just like you said, at a certain playing age to say, something tells me no. And I had it then. And I was doing these bouts with people and I just couldn't do it. I couldn't... How old were you at this point, do you reckon? 2011. Oh, 2011 30, this was, 30, yeah. Yeah, this was just before that World Cup, 32. And yeah. suddenly everything just started to be... This one-size-fits-all had always been in my favour because I could do anything. I'd train passing, I'd train fitness, I'd train kicking, both feet, tackling. I'd do ruck drills, I didn't give a toss. And now it was working against me. And suddenly the game plans weren't built around me anymore. But for me, I was lost in this space of like, geez, I didn't know how to listen to myself. I was still listening to that old voice that was saying, you must win, you must conquer, you must dominate. And I, I, you know, I had a panic attack. The, 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 I couldn't sleep the night before because we were doing wrestling drills in the morning. Now, the whole thing is supposed to be about being rested, feeling awesome. And I, I, I turn up like a mess. And it's like, oh, geez, what's wrong? It's like, well, we're doing, we're doing this. It, it's funny, I've not really thought about it as much, you know, until this chat, until you mentioned it then, but there's so much going on with players. And to really, you've got to get to know them. You've got to ha create an environment where they can speak openly and where it's okay to say, you know, to deal with these things. And, and it's not a kind of rigid one, you know, one, one sort of one way or the highway. Your mindset and the way you're talking, like part of me just thinks, yeah, but that's what led you to, to win a World Cup, to win World Player of the Year, to do everything you've done. Would you change it? Do you have any regrets about those younger years or how you were? Do you think it all worked out for the way that you're meant to be today? I think there's a there's a real interesting... I used to talk about regret in this way, is to say, oh, you know, how can you regret anything? It's all inevitable. Because if you put yourself back in that body with that same way of seeing yourself, you'd then see the world the same, you'd feel the way you feel about it, you'd think what you think, you'd do what you do, you'd get the same result. There's no way out. And so I'd be like, what's the point? It's all inevitable. But something else has sort of come through me more recently. Some of the research I've been looking at, the people I've been speaking to, is the idea about regret is that you take credit for everything. And there's a certain degree of that arrogance in me that actually caused all the problems in the first place. And the understanding is, is that all of that stuff was coming through me. To think that I somehow had the ability at that time to be different to how I was supposed to be is amazing. Now, it brings up a really big question in me and kind of like, well, geez, you know, what can you do about anything then? 
but there's there's maybe little things I could have worked on. But I know for a fact that I was supposed to be that way. That's how it was supposed to be. There were times, I think, where there were some openings and opportunities in immense suffering, perhaps for me to have branched out a touch. That's when I was when I was vulnerable, for me to understand things a bit differently. And a lot of that would have been around the idea of someone asking me, are you really interested in seeing how good you can be? Or are you, like we said about stage uh, one and two, or are you just interested in winning stuff? You have to you know, approach that very, very seriously because if you're interested in seeing what you're really capable of, what you're doing now is harming you. And I needed someone to come and put that in my face. But I think the way I was and the determination and the face that I showed people was that they never really thought I was in difficulty. But inside, you know, I was ready for maybe some of that chat. But ultimately, there's no way I, I was going to be that different to how I was then. So when you say, do I regret being that way? I'm like, yes, I don't regret anything. But I probably think there are times where I probably harmed my health and well-being leading up to a game and after a game more than I needed to. But actually, between the whistles, that's the genius part of me that I needed to listen to. Even when I was 19, when I was five years old, that part of me had something to teach me now. And it's amazing that people sort of say, yeah, but if you'd have been like this back then, would you have been a better player? It's like, this is how I was on the field. Mm. I was relaxed, I was yeah. easy. But unfortunately, a bit later on, when we played against each other, 2000, what was it, 12, 13 mm. maybe, yeah. in the Toulon stuff, I was carrying that preparation onto the field and I was being that preparer yeah. instead of the performer. So, you know, you know the changing room feel where you're a mess. I was then carrying that mess onto the field. It wasn't disappearing with the whistle. I, that's where probably I started to really investigate this because I wasn't getting that clean break. Did you get there at all in your playing career? So say you talk then, those years. Did you get there in 2014 then? Because you seem to be very happy playing in 2014. No, no, I didn't. I didn't. I, uh, and, and you know what? No one ever will. If, if something means something to you and, and, you're, and you need to be there and you have a purpose for being there, you will carry with you a degree of that, what we call, what I call, or my brother calls, you stress. You know, that, that it is stress, but it's a, a life-enhancing stress. It's purpose, it's meaning, but it's still uncomfortable. The only time I got there was two times. One was when I turned up for a game when I was 10 years old I turned up for training and the coach told me two minutes before, it's not training, you've got a game and kickoffs in two minutes. I put my boots on, went out there and smashed it. <laughs> that's the best thing. I know. I always think that's the best thing to do. When people say to me now, do you not, do you miss playing for Wales? I go, no. They go, what, you're mad? They go, oh, no, no. And if it, it's just what you said, I said, yeah. oh, if I just turned yeah. up and suddenly chucked a jersey on and played, yeah. it'd be the best thing in the world. But am I willing to do what it takes to get to that point? I'm like, no, no, no. I'm not going back there. Yeah, yeah. I agree with that. The other time was I was 12 or something playing against these under 15s and they were so big. And a friend of mine came over and said, guys, let's get in a team huddle. So we got us in a team huddle and then just told this ridiculous joke, which as a young kid, it's full of like rude words. And it's about the, it's about yeah. the, 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 like something that he says, we should do this to the opposition. And I got the fit of giggles. So I'm just, I'm 12 years old playing against these monsters of, and I'm going, I'm so scared, but I can't stop laughing. And I was awesome. I was so good. I was so good. So I started thinking to myself, wouldn't this be the right idea? It's before kickoff, every time I should get the team in and come up with something stupid to say and sure. let them all just have that energy. It's so, so funny you say that, right? In, uh, and I don't want to bring this up because this is, you, you've done way more than I've ever done in my career. So I don't mean to bring this game up, but it only happened on this game. 2010, Challenge Cup Final and Cardiff. Oh, God, we, yeah, we played yeah. you boys. Yeah, yeah. And, you, yeah. and you went off. Yeah, you went off, didn't you? But that pre-match team meeting, it was the um, it was the Benny Hill theme tune <laughs> as we were in this hotel in Marseille. And it was all of our cock-ups of the season. Boys getting knocked out, spinning around, falling on the floor. Boys yeah. dropping balls, missing tackles, getting bumped off. And That's hilarious. We were, at, we were all in, yeah, we were all in stitches walking onto the bus, and we were all giggling on the bus. I thought we're playing yeah. too long in a final, and, and it was an absolute masterstroke from uh, Die Young, it's our a head genius. coach. It's masterstroke. But honestly, it was the best pre-match speech I have. It wasn't even a speech. Yeah, it was the best thing I ever because we all went on and we just played. So, so it's funny that because in a way, it's the humour, it's the it's the ease, it's the relaxation. You can't yeah. laugh in survival mode. 
So you click out of survival mode, but it has to be funny. It has to yeah. be really funny and it has to catch you by surprise. <laughs> yeah. Because if someone tells you a joke when you're in survival mode, you just push them out of the way. Yeah. But if they catch you slightly unawares, yeah. so it's not something you can do every week you, yeah. because it, you know, it, it won't have the same power. But it's, but it's, so, this is kind of like that environmental management stuff. Understanding things like that so intricately is really powerful because. The old thing that's, that's you know, like I said, didn't work for me was this, or certainly didn't carry on working for me, was this idea that stress and suffering will bring you mm. joy in your yeah. performance. It doesn't work. But the thing is, is because everyone feels so rotten in the change room with stress, and then it goes on the field, you link the two together to think, ah, so a captain then starts driving that stress a bit more. And coaches start coming in with chat about, I need to get them more fearful and more angry. And that's what will release the joy. It doesn't. The joy comes with the relaxation. And it doesn't matter how stressed you get beforehand, the relaxation is where the performance is. I know we've met before and we've shared a studio a few times and things, but I've never wanted to obviously pick your brains on this stuff because I thought without hearing your story first, I thought, oh, you might think I'm a bit of a weirdo, so I'm not going to go down that route. But it's been lovely to sort of share your experiences and probably don't realise it, but your influence, mate, has transcended way beyond rugby, even way beyond your playing career. You've been an absolute inspiration, mate. So honestly, thanks so much for your time. A genuine privilege and you know, look forward to, to catching up soon. Uh, mate, listen, I... Uh... It's it's awesome to have these these chats and I, like I said I'm in a space now where I enjoy having these chats to find out so much more about other people because yeah maybe that's something you miss when you play and you just see them too much as as opposition it's so beautiful to to connect afterwards and be like geez you know we could talk I mean I can I know I can talk for hours but we could definitely we could go on mate but uh, you know we'll we'll have to uh, I'll have to repay the favour you'll have to come and uh, get all deep with me on uh, on my podcast soon mate it'll be a pleasure be a pleasure <laughs> cheers Johnny <laughs> love it cheers mate nice one thanks again to Johnny for his time and it was great to catch up I resonated a lot with what Johnny had to say and I was myself quite a young, intense individual and in a rugby environment we all have that alpha mindset we feel we need to live up to but Johnny talks about how vulnerable he was at times which I certainly experienced myself. Make sure you check out his podcast called I Am available in all the usual places. Thanks to everyone who has got in touch. It is great getting your messages. So please keep them coming, either via email at captains at crowdnetwork.co.uk or by using the hashtag captainspod on social media. Any suggestions for future guests or any captaincy questions you want to ask me, let me know. Make sure you are following us on LinkedIn too. Just search for Captains with Sam Warburton. And don't forget, if you subscribe to Crowd Sports Plus on Apple, you can get these episodes ad-free, as well as bonus captain's content every week. You can also listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Next week, my guest is an Olympic legend, Sir Chris Hoy. I'll see you then. Crowd Network. A place where you belong. <laughs>